Good morning. Those of you here, those of you in the student center, those of you in the fellowship hall, those of you at home, those of you visiting, it's good to be together. We're in a series of psalms called the Psalms of Ascent. Fifteen psalms, Psalm 120 to 134, and we are in Psalm 132 this morning. This psalm, Psalm 132, rehearses and remembers the birth of a very powerful promise, a promise of David to God and a promise of God to David. And we are heirs of this promise. We are here today because of this promise. So if you have your Bible, read with me Psalm 132, a song of ascents that is ascending as the pilgrims make their way up to the city of Jerusalem on Mount Zion. Remember, O Lord, in David's favor, all the hardships he endured, how he swore to the Lord and vowed to the mighty one of Jacob, I will not enter my house or get into my bed, I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. Behold, we heard of it in Ephrathah. We found it in the fields of Jaar. Let us go to this dwelling place. Let us worship at his footstool. Arise, O Lord. Go to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. Let your priests be clothed with righteousness and let your saints shout for joy. For the sake of your servant, David, do not turn away the face of your anointed one. The Lord swore to David a sure oath from which he will not turn back. One of the sons of your body I will set on your throne. If your sons keep my covenant and my testimonies that I shall teach them, their sons also forever shall sit on your throne. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her provisions. I will satisfy her poor with bread. Her priests I will clothe 
with salvation, and her saints will shout for joy. There I will make a horn to sprout for David. I have prepared a lamp for my anointed. His enemies I will clothe with shame, but on him his crown will shine. As we will see on Pentecost, on Mount Zion, in Jerusalem, the apostle Peter, Peter preached to the people, filled with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And he refers to this very promise as fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And he, we read about this in the book of Acts, chapter 2, especially verses 39, uh, 29 through 31. And it is for this reason that in 1 Peter 2, 9, he wrote, We are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people. It was this promise that Jesus was born to fulfill. It was for this promise that Jesus proclaimed the kingdom of God. It was for this promise that Jesus discipled the 12. It was for this promise that Jesus went to the cross and rose from the dead that the world might be turned upside down through the revolutionary, life-changing, spirit-empowered reign of God in Christ, redeeming and renewing us and through us, displaying his reign and his salvation in the church until he comes in irresistible power and glory. This promise is a powerful promise. Remember the power of God's promise. Remember the power of this promise. Remember the power of a promise. In this psalm, the theme of God's house has to do in the history of his people, in the story of the Old Testament, in God's story, that is our story, whether it be a tent or a house or a temple, it is the story of God's presence with his people. And the theme of God's house is really the theme of God's presence. And it is a tale of two promises here in Psalm 132. This Psalm, you obviously noticed if you've been with us in this series, starting with Psalm 120, each of the Psalms in the Psalms of Ascent are very and usually short psalms. And in a single word or a short phrase, you can capture the whole 
point or purpose of the psalm. But in this psalm, it is a standout because it's, according to the way it's calibrated in our Bibles, it's 18 verses long. And it's broken into two parts. The first part is David's promise to God, verses 1 through 10. And in the second part, it's God's promise to David, verses 11 through 18. It's a little difficult for a lot of us to understand all the parts of the psalm because we may not be as familiar with the story, the story of the Old Testament, the story of Israel, the story in particular here in this psalm that has a background in the life of Samuel and in the life of the very first king of Israel, Saul, and in the life of his successor as king of Israel, King David. This story would be well known to the pilgrims making their way from different parts of the Mediterranean world up to Jerusalem, up to, in elevation, Mount Zion, where the temple of God would be found. And this is the story of how that temple came to be. And so it is very much a story of David. You could call this story, as I said, the story of God's house from tent to temple or the story of two promises. The first found, as I said, in verses 1 through 10, but in particular, verses, verse 2, when David swore an oath, that is, he swore a promise, a very formal promise to God. And then in verse 11, the Lord swore an oath to David, a very formal promise to him. When we look at the promise of David to God, we read the actual promise that he made in verses three through five. I will not enter my house or get into my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. The story behind this promise goes back to Moses. It goes back to when God delivered his people. In fact, when the people became God's people, when they were delivered from slavery, from bondage in Egypt, and Moses and the people entered the wilderness and were wandering there. And it was in that wilderness wandering as they made their way to the promised land that they carried with them a box called the Ark of the Covenant. And in the Ark of the Covenant were very important symbols of their faith, their relationship with God, things that God had done for the people 
and in their midst. In that box or the ark were the tablets of the Ten Commandments. In that box was a jar of manna that God had provided for his people. And in that box was Aaron's rod that had budded. Most important, the ark represented God's presence, for it was at the ark that God spoke to Moses. The ark had a tent of its own. And in the midst of the tribes of the people, the 12 tribes, the 12 children of Jacob, that's why Jacob's name is invoked in this psalm, the mighty God of Jacob. And his 12 children became 12 tribes, as it were 12 nations in, in themselves, and where they were spread out right in the center among the tribes was the tent that held the ark. And it was in that tent that Moses would enter, called the tent of meeting. And there, Moses and God would speak. And it represented the place of meeting and God's presence. After the people entered the promised land, after they made their way then from Egypt through the wilderness and into the promised land, the ark was kept in various places. At one point, before there was a king, the ark was taken with the people into battle against their enemies, the Philistines. Israel lost that battle and the Ark of the Covenant was captured by the enemy of Israel, the Philistines. As the Philistines took the Ark with them and stored it in different places, disasters befell every place that the Ark was put. And so they returned it to the Israelites after seven months, which is about the time I guess we've been in this pandemic. When it was returned to the Israelites, they put it in a place for safekeeping, a sanctified place, a holy place, with a holy man to watch over it and to care for it and to see to its safety. It was a place that in this psalm is referred to as Ja'ar. The Bible also calls that small village that was near Kiriath Jerem. When David became king, he made that promise to God, which we read about in 2 Samuel. In 2 Samuel 6, David retrieves the ark and brings it to a place that he has made the capital city on Mount Zion, a place called Jerusalem. It will be where, where we could call it the city of David, the city of God. And this psalm commemorates in 2 Samuel 6 the story of David 
going to get the ark and bringing it to the city, to Jerusalem on Mount Zion, and a special tent that David had erected to keep the ark in Jerusalem. But now, and that's celebrated in verses 6 through 9 of this psalm. But now, we come to 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 1 and 2, and it's there that Nathan the prophet visits David. And David says to, to, to Nathan that he wants to build a proper house for God. And this is what it says. Now, when the king lived in his house and the Lord had given David rest from all his enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. We know God does not live in a tent, nor does he live in a house or a temple made with human hands. David knew it, and his son Solomon knew it. In fact, when David's promise was kept by his son Solomon, when they inaugurated the temple and the people had gathered to dedicate it, Solomon told the people, and this is in 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 27, will God actually dwell on earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you, O Lord. How much less this house that we have built. That God did not live in a tent or a house or a temple is stressed even more in our New Testament. Stephen, one of the early Christians in Jerusalem on Mount Zion, preached to the people, and it was there before they took up stones to throw at him and put him to death before he himself was martyred for the things that he was saying. He himself emphasized that God has created a temple for himself, a temple for his new people. And he said in these words in Acts chapter 7, he said, Will God actually dwell in a temple? He said, David promised to build a house for God, and he tells how Solomon saw it through, but he says, however, the Most High does not live in houses made by men. Acts 7, verse 48. That whole, he, he recounts this very psalm, the story of this very psalm in Acts 7, verses 44 through 50. Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, and he said, you, do you not know that you are God's temple and God's spirit dwells in you? So what is David's promise all about? What does it mean for us, it means 
as it meant for David to give God his rightful place. David was the king. He had established this city. He had made a place for God in it, but everyone else was better off than God. We live in comparative luxury. David lived in a house of cedar, but God was in a tent made of fabric. And so he swore an oath. He made a promise. God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you first place in my life among the people that you've given me the privilege to lead. You're going to have first place. I'm going to set the example. I'm going to show your people that you are first and foremost. Psalm 132 echoes for the people who are making their pilgrimage every year to the holy place, to the temple, that it is there for them to come to because David gave God first place in his life. Putting God first does not guarantee an easy life. That's what's said in the very opening words of this psalm. Favor David, it says, for he has endured hardship. That hardship in First Chronicle. 1 Chronicles chapter 22, verse 14, we translate that word afflictions. But these were not hardships or afflictions that happened to David. These are hardships and afflictions that David undertook, that David faced, that David welcomed, in order to put God first. We mustn't miss that point. Putting God first is sometimes difficult. Sometimes it involves what are called afflictions or hardships. And the very word endure means that we suffer it, we experience it, but we experience it for a purpose, to let God be king in our lives. Putting, in, putting God first involves hardship, but it brings blessing. David knew it. The Apostle Paul knew it. The first Christians knew it. And Christians have known it ever since. And it's all because of a powerful promise. You know what makes a promise powerful? The character of the one making that promise. A promise is made in two stages. There's the making and there's the keeping. And in between, you see the character of the promise 
keeper. God's promise to David is powerful because it is God who had made that promise. In fact, in the account of 2 Samuel 7, there's a play on words. David promised to build God a house, but God promised through the prophet Nathan that he himself would make a house out of David. That's the point. I'm going to make you, David, a house. And it is out of you, out of your loins, the ESV says out of your body, out of your offspring, out of your heritage, that I am going to build a house, a line of kings that will stand for putting me first and continue what you have begun with your promise to me. Peter proclaimed in Acts chapter 2, verses 30 and 31, that David, being a prophet, in fact, he refers to this very promise, that David, being a prophet and knowing that God had promised him he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he says that David foresaw and spoke of the resurrection of Christ, which is being experienced at Pentecost, during the Feast of Pentecost, when Peter stood up and began to preach to the people, filled with that very power of resurrection, that very resurrection life, and the fulfillment of the promise. And it is to be the hallmark of our lives. It is the very substance of the church. You can talk about churches, but there is no church without the Holy Spirit embodied in his people. The fulfillment of this promise. Pentecost, every day of the year. The fulfillment of the promise made in 2 Samuel 7. Fulfilled and experienced every day of the year. In pandemic and out. When we live in the power of the resurrection, which is being featured in Peter's sermon at Pentecost in Acts 7, referring to what God did in the promises that were exchanged between David when he put God first and God made a promise to David which foresaw the coming of the Messiah. That's why he's called the anointed one in verse 10 and verse 17 of our psalm. Anointed one, because the word anointed in Hebrew is the word Messiah, which means anointed. And the word 
that is translated anointed in Greek is the word Christ. Paul says, all God's promises are yes in Christ. All God's promises are yes in Christ. Look no further. Look nowhere else for the power of a promise other than Jesus Christ. It's the only promise that's really powerful. We've seen the power of David's promise and the power of God's promise. And we must emulate David in putting God first every day of our lives to know the anointing of that promise in our lives, the power of that promise in our lives as we face whatever we face at home, at work, at school, under the cloud, in the midst of this pandemic or out. We've got to be tougher. We really do. We're not pansies for Christ. We're powerful for Christ. And it shows up in the way we handle difficulties because we're committed to putting God first and we know that the God we put first is not far away, but he's present even as we sang this morning. Those beautiful words. I teared up. In your presence there is freedom. Are we behaving as though we're free or are we depending on government or something else for that freedom? Are we looking for laws? or excuses, or something else, when we can be free in the power of God, whether we're in chains or not? In your presence there is freedom. In your presence we are made whole. We need nothing, nothing else. And the world sees that when it sees the power of God in the midst of whatever suffering comes that we willingly undertake to put him first and live for Jesus Christ and reveal the true revolution that in fulfilling this promise, God created the church to be that turned the world upside down and isn't dependent on human power or strength. God bless us as we live for him. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who died for us and rose again, creating who we are in you, our identity, that we are your children, that you hold us in the palm of your hand. Nothing can separate us from your love. And we praise you in Jesus' matchless name and all of God's people said, amen.